Hello and welcome to Dedicated Packers, the podcast where we do care about the Green Bay Packers. We don't care anything else. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to Dedicated Packers. It is Wednesday, January 10th, and it is time to talk about the Green Bay Packers and their upcoming matchup against the Dallas Cowboys in the wild card round. That's right. For the second time in the history of this podcast, the Green Bay Packers are back in the playoffs. For the first time in the history of this podcast, the Green Bay Packers are playing in the wild card. They, as I mentioned, playing the Dallas Cowboys at 3.30 p.m. Central Time on Sunday. And the Cowboys are a good team. Cowboys are the two seed. Green Bay is the seven seed. So let's say Green Bay wins this game. That means they would be the seven seed. They would automatically have to play San Francisco, who is a just an absolute juggernaut in the divisional round. Obviously, if the Packers lose, they're out. Um, but... There's not a lot of stress on this Packers team because nobody expected them to be here. And I'm pretty sure a lot of people are getting sick of this term at this point in the week, but they're playing with house money. Dallas is favored by a touchdown, a touchdown and a half, I believe. There really are no expectations. And I do think, you know, some TV pundits are picking the Packers to win, picking an upset. Honestly, I wish they didn't. I, I like it when everyone's just saying the Cowboys are going to steamroll them, but whatever, some some people are picking an upset. It just feels like this is a game where the Packers can go in, and if they win, awesome, great. They're going to have a much tougher opponent in San Francisco. I would have no faith in them winning that game. If they lose, oh well, right? And at the, I mean, the best thing is that regardless of whether or not they win or lose, they've gotten playoff experience as a team. Maybe they get boat raced. Okay, fine, but now Jordan Love, this young offense, which has receivers that are only 22, 23, and 24 years old, now these guys have experienced the playoffs. They know what a playoff atmosphere is like, they know what those games feel like, they know how those games feel just a little bit different, and they're going to come in prepared for next year. Playoff experience is something that is so valuable. It is, uh, it's incredibly valuable, and you can see that in the fact that very few quarterbacks, teams, in their first playoff run actually win anything major. Patrick Mahomes made it to the conference championship. He really only won one game, though. He won the divisional round game. Aaron Rodgers, eliminated in the wild card. Tom Brady won uh, won a Super Bowl in his first playoff experience, but that was on the back of, a, of an awesome defense. And Tom Brady's probably the best quarterback ever. They're going to get playoff experience. And that is awesome. That is remarkably valuable as we look ahead to future years where the Packers are going to be expected to come away with some Super Bowls. However, going into this game, I just hope we can have some fun. And the thing that makes it a little bit extra fun is that they're going back to Dallas. They're facing an old friend. They're going to Jerry World, AT&T Stadium, where the Packers have never lost. They won their last three, four games there. I want to say the most famous game is definitely the one that ended with a Mason Crosby field goal. 
after Aaron Rodgers made arguably the best throw of his career to Jared Cook on the sideline to get them into field goal range. But, I mean, let's just walk through some of those amazing games that they've won. So they beat Dallas, not not at AT AT&T Stadium, but just against Dallas in general. They beat Dallas last year. I was attending that game. Christian Watson breakout game, you might note. He went off, right? Three touchdowns, 100 over 100 yards. I don't remember the exact number. They beat Dallas then back in 2019. This was the Aaron Jones game where he absolutely mauled them. I'm pretty sure he had four touchdowns in that game. A crazy game from Aaron Jones. They beat the Cowboys then. Packers also beat them back in 2017 in week four or so. That was the Rodgers to Devontae walk-off touchdown pass where they went first at, I don't remember the rookie corner, but it was a very young corner. And they tested him once in the end zone. He swatted the pass away. Rodgers went right back to Devontae, same place, basically the same route, fade in the end zone, Devontae grabs it over the corner's head, walk-off touchdown, and then back in 2016, divisional round game that I mentioned, Packers end up winning, the the Cowboys were the first seed, I want to say, that year, Packers pull off the upset, go to the, go to the NFC Championship game and, and get blown out, we don't have to to talk about that. But I've even buried the, the lead here, I've talked all about the Cowboys, Jerry World, AT&T Stadium, right? Green Bay Packers are going up against Mike McCarthy, obviously their old coach, and maybe this isn't, this doesn't have quite the drama because Aaron Rodgers is no longer the quarterback of the Packers, but still, it is a Green Bay versus Mike McCarthy matchup. Mike has a chance to shut Green Bay down real fast, say, you know, cute and all, you moved on from Aaron, you know, you got the seventh seed, you think you can do something, we're the two seed, we're the better team here, we're going to go beat you. Green Bay, on the other hand, has a chance to potentially end Mike's tenure as the Cowboys head coach. Just, I I mean, I don't think it's at all reasonable for the the Cowboys to fire Mike McCarthy after this, but Jerry Jones does have a, a tendency to lack patience with head coaches. If, uh, if the Cowboys lose this game, especially badly, there is a world where Mike McCarthy is fired. So a ton of interesting storylines going into this game talked about a lot of those the last thing I want to talk about before we actually get to the game Jordan Love was named the NFC player of the week offensive player of the week uh this was for the second straight week he was he also won FedEx air player of the week this week for also I believe the second straight week and he won the NVP again NVP Nickelodeon's MVP award I think it stands for Nickelodeon valuable player that doesn't really make much sense but whatever. You can't take out the adjective that is the most in the most valuable player and replace it with a noun like Nickelodeon. Doesn't make any any sense, but regardless, Jordan Love won the MVP. He was awarded it by Sean Clifford, who called him the slimiest player of the week. The point is, Jordan Love is now getting a bunch of accolades for his accomplishments, and What's interesting is, and I promise, I don't want to talk a lot about Jordan Love. Spoiler alert, he is not going to be my player to watch this week because we have talked a lot about Jordan Love. And, I mean, there's not too much more for me to say. I've, I've talked about so much of it. But I do want to say it's pretty official at this point that he's a stud um, because winning NFC Offensive Player of the Week was in back-to-back weeks was never accomplished by Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre, and I mean, holy guacamole, right? It's just, it's such a cool, awesome way 
for Jordan to finish this two-week stretch. He's gone into these, he went into these two weeks. You go into, you beat Carolina, and then you go into week 17 against the Vikings, who killed Green Bay back in week eight. You didn't really know what was going to happen, but you knew it was going to be a test for Jordan. And Jordan arguably played his best game of the year, passed with flying colors. Then, you still had to go into week 18 and win then to make the playoffs. What did Jordan do? He went out, said, you know, hey, Chicago, it's cute. You guys think you're better. You have this defense you guys think is good. All of that's real awesome. We're better. Plays another one of his best games of the year. I'm not sure it was his best game of the season, but definitely up there, right? Puts up two touchdowns, over 300 yards, wins NFC Offensive Player of the Week for the second straight week, and clinches a playoff spot while just absolutely dominating the Bears. This is a guy that I I don't think is playing at a incredibly higher level than he was back in Detroit on Thanksgiving, back in Lambeau in week 13 against Kansas City, back in hell week 15 against the Bucks. I do think that what has changed is that now he has a running game. And you give him that running game, you end up having a whole lot more offensive success, and with offensive success come quarterback statistics. And so Jordan is becoming uh, the beneficiary of the Packers being able to move the ball through not just the air. And uh, it's not to say Jordan's playing any worse. It's not a knock on Jordan, right? Obviously, he's playing awesome. He's playing some of the, well, he's definitely playing the best football of his career right now. But it's not like he's jumped up to this whole new stratosphere. It's the same stratosphere he was in. If anything, it's a compliment. It's saying he's been playing this way for 10 weeks. It's just now the results are coming because players are playing well around him. So just wanted to talk a little bit about that. Talk about the Cowboys. Talk about the playoffs. All right. Let's talk actually about the game. And as always, we're going to start with the injury report because the Packers, yes, it was a, it's still a very, very long injury report, but I will say the participation estimates, their estimates, because the Packers held a walkthrough today, those are looking a little bit better. So Let's go through the injury report. Jair Alexander, limited with a shoulder-slash-ankle injury. Devondre Campbell, full participant with a neck injury. A.J. Dillon, DNP, with a thumb-slash-neck. Romeo Dobbs, limited with a chest. Elton Jenkins, limited with a knee-slash-ankle. Aaron Jones, limited with a knee-slash-finger. Isaiah McDuffie, limited with a concussion-slash-neck. Luke Musgrave, full participant with a kidney injury. Josh Myers, full participant with a neck injury. Jonathan Owens, limited with a knee. Jaden Reed, full participant with a chest injury. Sean Ryan, full participant with an elbow injury. Darnell Savage, full participant with a shoulder injury. TJ Slayton, limited with a knee slash foot. Preston Smith, limited with an ankle. Zach Tom, full participant with his finger injury. Quay Walker, full participant with his shoulder injury. Christian Watson, limited with a hamstring. And lastly, Emmanuel Wilson, a full participant with his shoulder injury. On the Cowboys side of things, defensive end Dorrance Armstrong, full participant with an ankle injury. Brandon Cooks did not, or no, was limited with a vet rest day, essentially. Stephon Gilmore, DNP with a shoulder injury. Jonathan Hankins, DNP with an ankle injury. Malik Hooker, full participant with an ankle injury. Demarcus Lawrence did not participate with a vet rest day. Jordan Lewis did not participate with a vet rest day. Zach Martin did not participate with a, a vet rest day. Sorry, um, Jordan Lewis, the cornerback, was actually limited with a vet rest day. Tyler Smith, limited with a foot injury, and then Tyrone Smith, DNP, on a vet rest day. So, Cowboys giving out a lot of vet rest days. 
On the Packers side of things, there's a quite a bit of good news here. First of all, Devontavion Wicks, as I'm going to start calling him because he's basically Devontae, he was off the injury report, so awesome news there. Jaden Reed upgraded to a full participant. Awesome news there. Seems like those two guys pretty much done and dusted, didn't get any new injuries in the Bears game. They're good to go. Sean Ryan, he has a new injury, an elbow injury. He was still a full participant with it, though, so sounds like nothing too bad there. And then a bunch of other good news, too. Zach Tom, full participant with his finger injury that he suffered versus Chicago. Played out the whole second half with it. Seems like he's okay. And Romeo Dobbs, limited, despite coughing up blood versus Chicago. So I guess signs are pointing to him going versus uh, Dallas. Additional good news. Quay Walker, Luke Musgrave, and Darnell Savage were all upgraded to full participants. And Isaiah McDuffie is now a limited participant. So... I mean, Quay, Musgrave, and Savage, they're all definitely on pace to play, and Isaiah McDuffie, I would guess he's going to play. On the bad news side of things, A.J. Dillon. He is the really the only Packer that was estimated as a non-participant. I guess he probably won't play versus Dallas. It doesn't seem as egregious with A.J. Dillon not playing because they're playing indoors, but you always like to have depth at the running back spot. It doesn't seem like they're going to have A.J. And then Jair apparently has a new ankle injury. He was still limited, so hopefully he's okay. Seems like that back injury that he suffered earlier is gone, and backs are a, a lot more difficult to deal with than most others, so I would expect Jair to play, but nothing great with the ankle. The last person I want to talk about is Christian Watson a little bit. He was limited again, and he spoke a little bit. Matt spoke a bit. Here's what's interesting. So Matt said on Sunday after the game when he was asked, I don't remember exactly what he was asked about Christian, but he was asked about Christian. And Matt said on Sunday that by Friday or so, he had an idea that Christian wasn't going to play versus Chicago, and he just didn't want to give that away. So us thinking there was a chance Christian would play, never really the case. I mean, it, I guess Matt thought there was a, a chance on Wednesday and Thursday, but by Friday, he pretty much knew Christian wasn't going to play. So while I did say on Sunday that I expected Christian to go versus Dallas, I will say I'm feeling slightly less confident about that because it seems like by Friday, the Packers knew Christian wasn't going to be playing in that Bears game. Seems like he's a little bit further behind on the in terms of the recovery timeline than where I thought he was. But whatever. Christian spoke today. He was limited today. That's great. But honestly, I'm not sure that he's going to play again for the rest of the season. And it's nothing the Packers said necessarily, but I'm just not sure they want to risk re-aggravating that hamstring and Christian himself said honestly he won't be a hundred percent he said I don't remember he he was basically asked you know what do you need to be to go and he said honestly I'm not going to be a hundred percent if I play this Sunday just like and he said he still played in the Detroit game he still played in the Vegas game back in weeks four and five even when he wasn't a hundred percent so he doesn't need to be a hundred percent to go but the reality is he won't be a hundred percent and so as we look at whether or not he's going to play, I think you got to consider the risk to reward factor here. Because for Christian, when he's on the field and he is healthy, he is a difference maker. There's no question about that. Nobody is questioning that. Okay, I think you saw plenty of it through last year. You saw plenty of it through this year, even though he only started heating up in the, you know, in week eight, week nine, not week eight, week nine. 10, 11, 12, and 13, he did really start heating up. He's a clear difference maker. 
but we need him for more than just this playoff run. And I think that at some point the Packers have to consider whether it's really worth having him out there in this playoff run. Again, I don't know what's going to happen. We'll just have to see. But I think there is a conversation, and I'm not sure I'm going to create an episode on it because I don't think there's much to say. But I think the Packers, and there's no doubt that they will, they're really going to need to get to the bottom of this hamstring thing with Christian Watson. Because if it keeps hampering him, it's going to be a problem. And I said, like, back week one of 2022, rookie season week one, I said, maybe it was week four against the Patriots, I said basically Christian Watson is going to have a 15-year NFL career solely based on the fact that he is a special athlete and he is a threat whenever he's on the field. But I added the caveat if he stays healthy. And right now, he's not staying healthy. He needs to find a way to stay healthy. I do think there's something to the fact that he might just be too tightly wound, too strong for his own good. And yeah, I mean, it. the Packers are just Christian Packers, his the people he works with, they're all going to have to have a talk about mitigating these hamstring injuries. I'm sure Christian will do whatever he can. I just, yeah. Just wanted to talk a little bit about Christian. I don't know whether he'll play Sunday. Final verdict? I don't know. Might play Sunday, might not play Sunday. I wouldn't be shocked either way. Wouldn't be surprised at all, actually, either way. Just going to have to see what happens. I like him when Christian's out there, right? You know, you you guys know my feelings on Christian Watson. I love him. He's a dynamic player. Got a Christian Watson shirt for Christmas. He's a stud. Anyway, let's, uh, let's talk about this game from an actual playing standpoint. So, I mentioned it. Cowboys at the second seed. Packers are the seventh seed. The Cowboys are a much better team, especially on paper. They went 12-5 and five this year. They're really freaking good. They have one of the best offenses in the NFL, one of the best defenses in the NFL. Dan Quinn is their DC. He has been awesome as Dallas's DC for the past three years now. He was a great defensive coordinator in Seattle. Never quite found the, the same success as a head coach in Atlanta, but made it to a Super Bowl there. And he is really, really, really thrived in Dallas. His defense has adapted a little bit from really the heavy cover three style back in Seattle. He's adjusted a little bit in Dallas, playing a little bit more cover two, being able to be a little bit more multiple. It's not just their defensive coordinator that's good, though. On defense, they have an all-pro level pass rusher in Michael Parsons. I don't think it's necessarily too extreme to say he's on a Hall of Fame trajectory if he keeps up what he's been doing these past three years. Deron Bland as a cornerback for the Cowboys. He's a little bit spotty in coverage, but he's always a threat. He set the NFL record for the most pick sixes in a season by a cornerback, or actually not by cornerback at all, with six. Yeah, this defense is going to bring a massive test to Green Bay. Elite defensive front, really aggressive cornerbacks on the back end. Nothing is going to come easy for Green Bay's offense on Sunday. But speaking of nothing coming easy, the Dallas offense might just wipe the floor with this Packers defense because I would say the Dallas offense is even better than their defense, and the Packers defense is definitely worse than the Packers offense. Dak Prescott, Packer, I mean, Cowboys quarterback, he is playing an MVP level. He, in my mind, it's him or Josh Allen for the NFL MVP. Dak Prescott has been playing incredibly well. CeeDee Lamb, all-pro level receiver. Tony Pollard, Pro Bowl caliber running back. He's very, very good, though. They have a top-tier offensive line, both in the pass game and the run game. I'm not going to say their interior offensive line 
is quite at the level that it's been at in previous years, but it's still pretty, pretty good. So they pose a threat in really every aspect of the game. Mike McCarthy's been doing very well calling plays. Dak Prescott, MVP level quarterback, wide receivers, good, headed by one of the best receivers in the game in CeeDee Lamb. Running back, really good with Tony Pollard. Offensive line, really good. Tight ends, didn't even mention those. They have a really good tight end in Jake Ferguson. On the defensive side, amazing defensive front, very aggressive, very good secondary, and a top defensive coordinator in Dan Quinn. They are an excellent, excellent, excellent team in every sense of the word. And the best argument, honestly, for the Packers beating the Cowboys is that the pow- the Cowboys have the tendency to lose games in the playoffs that maybe they shouldn't lose. They got knocked out at home in the wild card back in 2021 against the 49ers, which was pretty frustrating because the 49ers ended up going into Lambeau and beating Green Bay. This Packers defense, it's going to have to play its best game of the season. The offense may well have to play its best game of the season. It certainly will if the Packers defense doesn't play well enough to shut down the Cowboys, and even if they do play well enough to quote-unquote shut down the Cowboys, shutting down the Cowboys looks like letting them put up 28 points. So the Packers offense is going to have to play really, really well. It's going to take everybody. And with that being said, let's jump into exactly what it's going to take first on the offensive side of the ball and the offensive keys. So my first offensive key They have to control Micah Parsons and that entire Dallas defensive front because Dallas, like a lot of NFL defenses right now, um, Cleveland with Jim Schwartz is another one doing it. They win with pressure up front. The key player really for the Cowboys in terms of winning with pressure up front is Micah Parsons, who's incredible off the edge. And what's what gets really scary is they don't just play him off the edge. They will move him inside and trust me. If you're getting Micah Parsons versus Josh Myers, I think you can probably make a five-minute video of just clips of Josh Myers getting run into the ground by Micah Parsons. So that is going to be terrifying. And honestly, it's not just Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence. They have a bunch of really, really good guys on that defensive front. It is going to be a challenge for the Packers to control this front. And Dallas has made it a challenge for basically every team they face. They win a lot of their games up front on defense where they get pressure on the opposing quarterback, they force throws to go awry, and oftentimes that leads to turnovers. You throw an out route just to step behind the receiver, Deron Bland's taking it the other way for a pick six. So the Packers can't let the Cowboys get to them up front. How do they avoid letting Dallas get to them up front, letting Dallas kick their ass up front? Honestly, the solution's pretty simple. You have to control the game on the ground. And this does so many things. First of all, it does the two obvious things, which don't exactly relate to to the Dallas defensive front. The first, obviously, if you can run the ball up front, that opens a lot of things up on offense. A lot of Jordan's success, I mentioned it, a lot of Jordan's success has come from the entire offense being able to have a run game and be based off the run game. Because now you make easier throws for Jordan, you're getting the play-action game working, give the ball to 33, awesome things happen. So... That is one awesome aspect of the run game, of course. You control the game, open up play-action spots, you turn that offense into a machine that feels pretty hard to stop. Also, you run the ball, you keep the Cowboys' defense off the field. I'm not the Cowboys' defense. You keep the Cowboys' offense off the field, and the Cowboys' offense is very, 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 very good. That's uh, that, Those are two positives of running the ball. But 
specifically what it does with a defensive front, is that you can really mitigate their pass rush. And this might sound a little bit weird, but the Packers back week 10, Lambeau Field 2022, they took Micah Parsons out of the game. They actually made Micah Parsons, who in 2021, he as a rookie, he was somewhat an edge rusher, somewhat a middle linebacker. But it, by 2022, he'd really converted to mostly an edge rusher. And it was a smart conversion for them because he's really, 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 really good there. But what did the Packers do? They took Micah Parsons out of the game in week 10 last year by running at him. Over and over and over, A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones didn't matter. They just pounded the rock at Micah Parsons. And yes, it was colder at Lambeau back in week 10 than it will be at AT&T Stadium. But having a 200-pound man run at you, play after play after play, isn't fun regardless of the temperature. So if the Packers keep running the ball and have success with it, they can really take away the aggressiveness of those Cowboys edge rushers and the interior guys because they no longer can just, you know, sit back, get ready for the for the drop back from Jordan Love and go attack Rasheed Walker and Zach Tom. No, now they have to be a little bit scared of the fact that, hey, maybe on this play action that Jordan Love is showing us, we actually have to commit to the run because if we don't, we're going to get our faces bowled over. All of a sudden, you start making things a lot easier in the play-action game, in the passing game. You make things a lot easier on your tackles. So that's going to be massive. Obviously, the run game is going to be massive. Now, I said, you know, you have to run the ball at, at the Cowboys' edges, and you also have to, have to have success. Well, how do you have success? Dallas likes to be very aggressive with their defensive front, especially their edge guy, but just in general with their front. And what that aggressiveness does is it really allows them to create pressure. You, If you emphasize getting Micah Parsons upfield at the quarterback, you're going to create a lot of pressure on the quarterback. You're going to wreak havoc. However, that also provides opportunities for the Packers to use their aggressive tendencies against them. The Packers, and this is something I would really love to see them do, you can run counters, which is basically a run play where you almost hesitate a little bit, such that... Micah Parsons, the rest of the Cowboys edges, they get upfield, they overcommit. Packers, pulling some guys, are able to run right through the gap that those edge rushers have vacated, pick up some massive gains on the ground. You can also, and this isn't really running the ball, but it's in the in the same vein, you can also throw some screen passes, right? Lure Micah Parsons, the rest of the Dallas edges, in with a fake Jordan Love drop back. Micah Parsons, the edges, they're getting to Jordan Love. They're like, oh my God, we're going to hit him. Jordan Love dumps a screen pass off to Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones takes off up the field with space in front of him. You run the ball hard, you run it at Dallas, and you maybe get to take advantage of their aggressive tendencies a little bit. Then you get to control the game. You keep Dallas's edge rushers at bay, and you give yourself a chance to win. And that's really what we're looking for from this offense. That's the first key. My second key, you got to win mentally. And that means winning in really every aspect. Pre-snap, post-snap, you have to win mentally. Because I, I talked about it. Dan Quinn's defense wins with pressure up front. But they also win massively with coverage disguises. Because Dan Quinn, yeah, he likes his cover one coverages. He likes his cover three coverages. But he's pretty good at disguising exactly which coverage he's playing. 
So what he can do sometimes is he might flash one high safety. And usually at the most basic level, if a team's showing one high safety, you're probably as an opposing offense, I mean, especially if you get down to high school, right, even lower levels, team showing one high safety, okay, they're playing cover one or cover three. Those are usually the two looks you're going to drop back into. But what teams do pretty frequently, actually, at an NFL level is usually that one safety is in the box. Okay, now we're going to rotate that guy back after the snap. So it looks like cover one from the pre-snap look. All of a sudden, right after the snap, we now have that one high safety cutting over, taking one half of the field. We have the safety that was in the box taking the other half of the field. Guess what? Now it's cover two. And that ends up fooling a lot of opposing quarterbacks, leads to turnovers, leads to indecisiveness, letting the pass rush um, get to the quarterback. The Packers and Jordan are going to need to win before the snap, during the snap, by recognizing what Dan Quinn is trying to do. And honestly, Jordan has had a lot of success in that area recently. Minnesota was probably the biggest example of that because Minnesota loves their safety rotations, their coverage rotations, their coverage disguises, where Brian Flores comes up with these ridiculously inventive defensive alignments that show one thing and then all of a sudden rotate into something else. He was playing cover two where he had one high safety and then it wasn't like he rotated the other safety down. He put the one high safety into one half of the field and then had a cornerback rotate down and play the other side. So he had cover two with the two deep clouds being taken, one by a safety and one by a cornerback. That is not seen often at all. But Jordan didn't seem to struggle with that pretty much at all against Minnesota. One of the biggest ways in which he didn't struggle was, or one of the biggest reasons why he didn't struggle, was that he was able to use his cadence to get defenders to declare. And that is going to be massive in finding success mentally versus Dan Quinn's defense because if we get back to this cover one example if the 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 Dallas defense shows cover one but then Jordan uses his hard count and gets a safety who's maybe playing closer to the line of scrimmage to start moving backwards Jordan all of a sudden can have in the back of his mind okay that safety is moving backwards there's a good chance here that single high look that they're showing is actually going to turn into cover two where that safety is going to come over take one half the safety in the box is going to come over or drop back, take the other half, and then Jordan Love can already figure out, okay, this is how I want to attack this. And that kind of gets to another thing that I'd like to talk about, which is you can find deep shots against Dan Quinn's defense. And so if we stick with this single high safety example, Jordan knows, okay, that one safety is going to come over. The safety that looks like he's in the box is actually going to go over and take the other half of the field. It's actually going to be cover two, despite Dan Quinn showing a single high safety. Hmm, how can I attack this? One of the best ways you attack cover two is a route up the seam. Jaden Reed maybe sees that too. He sees, okay, that safety is going to drop back. That other safety is going to drop back. It's actually going to be tougher cover two here. I'm going to bend my route up the seam. Jaden Reed takes his route up the seam. Jordan hits him, touchdown Packers. That is actually basically exactly what happened on the Jaden Reed touchdown back in Minnesota. It was almost identical to that. They showed single high. I think they actually had a cornerback rotate down. As I mentioned, Minnesota does all all sorts of wacky stuff. But I think they had a cornerback rotate down on the right side, safety rotate, uh, or take the, the left half of the field. 
And then Jaden Reed just bent his route at the seam. Jordan saw him, matched up with the linebacker, hit him, touchdown. If you do that, if Jordan does that, I really do believe the Packers can have some real success versus the Dan Quinn defense. Because it is beatable. I mean, the Niners put up 42 points on it. Miami put up 22, which isn't a, a massive number, but I do think it's beatable, is my point. And I think the first key to winning 100% is you have to beat Dallas up front. We talked about that. That is, that is if the Packers can't win up front, they're not going to win this football game. But if you're able to control them up front, then there will be opportunities in the pass game. It's just going to come down to how Jordan can win mentally and how he's going to be able to find deep shots based on the things he's able to, the information he's able to get from the mental side of things. And he has weapons he can use. Luke Musgrave, Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, maybe, 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 maybe Christian Watson. I want to see what Jordan has prepared for Dan Quinn. All right, that's what I have on the offensive side of the of the ball. Let's get to the defensive side. And my first defensive key, get turnovers. Because the Packers have won a lot of games recently with very few turnovers. And that's been able to happen for two reasons. First of all, they were playing bad offenses. And when you play bad offenses, you don't need to get a huge number of turnovers. Usually you can just get some stops and that's good enough. Additionally, the Packers haven't turned the ball over that much on offense. Now, Jordan Love has had a couple of fumbles, had one versus New York, had one obviously in this last game versus Chicago. But other than that, they're not turning the ball over much. Jordan Love has had one interception in the past 10 weeks or so, had the one in New York, but didn't have any versus Detroit, none versus Kansas City, none versus uh, Tampa Bay, none versus Carolina, none versus um, Minnesota, and then none versus Chicago. So the Packers have been able to survive despite not getting a bunch of turnovers. However, Versus an excellent Dallas offense, you better believe they're going to need to steal some possessions because let's say Dallas gets nine possessions. Let's say they get 10 possessions, which is probably around average for an NFL game, nine to 10. Okay, they get 10 possessions. So at most, Dallas can put up 70 points. Now, I don't see that happening but just because that's such an absurd point total, though. If anyone would allow it, it would be Joe Barry. But let's say Dallas scores on being conservative here seven of those possessions, right? I I mean, I don't think that's absurd. So let's say they score on seven of those. Let's say they get two field goals and five touchdowns. Okay, they they really just shred Green Bay's defense. That is, doing the quick math here, that is 41 points if Dallas goes 70% on their drives in terms of scoring on their drives. That is a lot of points. 41 points, I do not believe Green Bay's offense can put up 41 points against this Dallas defense. So... How do you beat them? You have to steal some of those possessions. Let's say they they get 10 possessions. You stop them on three, and now you get an extra two turnovers. So let's say that takes away a touchdown in the field goal. All of a sudden, Dallas is only putting up 31 points, and Green Bay's offense has an extra two possessions to work with. So they can get over 31 points through however, however many possessions they'd normally get, plus an extra two. It'll be massive. If they get turnovers in this game, they can actually have a chance. But then the question becomes, how do you get turnovers against an offense that has been so excellent the really this entire season? And they got, I think, two interceptions versus Dallas back in Week 10 last year. But that came because Dak and his receivers weren't playing in sync. 
the way they are now. CeeDee Lamb was was not playing in rhythm with Dak that the way in the way that CD and Dak are, are synced together now. So things are a lot tougher this year. But there are still ways for the Packers to disrupt the timing and rhythm that Dak is playing with. And how the answer is strong coverage and pressure up front. <laughs> the key to running a defense, right? Joe Barry's defense works mostly to a degree when the defensive front works. So if you get the defensive front working from Kenny Clark to Devontae Wyatt to Carl Brooks to Rashawn Gary to Lucas Van Ness to Preston Smith, if you get those guys working, playing well up front, well, then you can start getting pressure. Then Joe Barry probably can sit back, play his coverage, just let the defensive front get after it, and Dak probably will be forced to make some very tough decisions, either hold on to some balls or make some throws away, and if he makes one wrong decision... Hopefully, Green Bay can capitalize on it. If Even if the defensive front isn't getting pressure, there's still ways for the, the Packers to manufacture pressure. Hopefully, Joe Barry will do that by calling some blitzes. Use Quay Walker on blitzes, right? You, I mean, Dak's mobile to a degree, but he's no Justin Fields, so all of a sudden, you don't need Quay Walker just spying Justin Fields. Send him on a blitz or two. Use his athleticism to put pressure on Dak when the defensive front can't get it done. That'll be massive. In the secondary, tight coverage, guys have to play aggressive. And we've seen the defense do more of this lately. Carrington, Jair, Keyshawn, the cornerbacks have to press because that is really one of the best ways to disrupt the timing of an opposing offense. If they press guys, they make it hard for CeeDee Lamb, Brandon Cooks, Michael Gallup to get off the line of scrimmage. All of a sudden, Dak has to wait just a half tick longer, but that half tick longer might be the time it takes for Rashawn Gary to get his hand up there and bat the ball away, or for Rashawn Gary to get at Dak Prescott, either force a fumble or force Dak to make an errant throw. Packers get a turnover off of it. If they disrupt the timing through pressure up front, through strong coverage, Dak feels like he's getting hit more often, and then you get an errant throw here or there. Maybe they get Dak to revert back to 2022 form. Tip passes, forced fumbles, ill-advised throws. You just capitalize on a couple of those, and the Packers start to have a chance in this football game. But that has to happen. Second key on defense is that everyone has to do their 1-11th. And Quay, Quay said it, actually. He was asked, you know, what's been the change in this defense? It's the fact that everyone's just doing their jobs. To go back to the old Bill Belichickism, do your job. And the Packers have had a bunch of guys that are doing their job right now. And I'm not a Joe Barry fan, right? By, by no means am I a Joe Barry fan. You guys know this. But the gaping holes that were all over the defense in Carolina against Tampa, against New York, that is not how the defense is designed. And again, I'm not claiming that Joe Barry has some genius scheme, but no zone coverage that any defensive coordinator, any NFL defensive coordinator is running is designed to have gaping holes where two players are in essentially the same two defensive players are in essentially the same area of the field and then nobody is in the middle of the field that is just not how a defense is designed so how did those holes come well they came from poor scheme a combination of poor scheme in terms of how it's being taught and poor execution just from the players lack of discipline lack of communication from the coaches all of a sudden, when players start trying to implement the play that's called that maybe looks good on paper, it doesn't work. 
but I do think there's been improvement in that area. I don't know how the improvement come has come so suddenly versus Minnesota versus Chicago. Maybe the improvement actually hasn't been as drastic as we as we think, and it's mostly been that the defensive front has been playing better. That is most certainly possible. But I do think there's something to to be said for nobody trying to be a hero right now, where guys are going out and they're just doing their job. They're, they're, there's no Jair Alexander going out there abandoning his zone to try and make some incredible play on the ball. It's people understanding their zone, understanding how they're supposed to play their zone, and playing that zone. And is just doing your job enough to beat Dallas, just playing the zone properly enough to beat Dallas? No, they're still going to put up 35, 40 on you, and Packers can't put that much up on Dallas. But if everyone does their job, and then you get a splash play here or there, well, all of a sudden... Maybe now Dallas is putting up 28, right? If you're playing sound coverage through everyone doing their 111th, and then you get back to the first defensive key of getting a turnover or two, right? Dallas puts up 28, 25, 27. Green Bay suddenly has a chance. So that is my defensive key. Those are my defensive keys to the game. Let's jump quickly into, into my players to watch. So I said, Jordan Love not going to be a player to watch. That's right. He's not. My offensive player to watch is Jaden Reed. And I put Jaden Reed here because the Packers are going to get the chance to get some deep shots going versus Dallas. They're going to get coverages that allow for deep shots. I mentioned that single high coverage rotating into cover two and running Jaden Reed up the seam. Saw it from Minnesota's defense. Saw the Packers capitalize. Might see it from Dan Quinn. Hopefully the Packers can capitalize and Jaden Reed is going to be a massive key to capitalizing. Because yes, Dallas has an excellent defense. But they've been burnt by the best receivers on opposing teams. DK Metcalf put up three touchdown, well over 100 yards against them back in week 15 or so, 14 or so. Tyree Kill put up 99 yards but had nine catches. I expect Jaden to have a lot of success too because he's a player that I would describe as as Tyree Kill light, right? He's Imagine if you took Tyree Kill and toned down the speed a little bit tone down the routes just a little bit, you've got Jaden Reed for you. Jaden Reed is going to get fed the ball, and I do think he's going to get some shots downfield. I've been a big fan of how they've used him more vertically in recent weeks, and I can't wait to see him continue to make plays. I think he will make plays, and I think if he makes enough of them, Green Bay's going to have a real chance to come in there and upset Dallas. My second player to watch is Jair Alexander, and he was suspended in week 17. Uh, yeah, in week 17. We all know this. But then I thought he came back, played really nicely in Week 18. And now, in the wild card round, playoff season, this is jaw money time. This is really, really, really jaw money time. And what's what's pretty funny is all the playoff games Jair has played in, and he's played in a bunch because he was with the Packers back when they were really good, 2019, 2020, 2021. He's played really, really well. 2019, went in there against Seattle in the divisional round, shut down, I want to say rookie at the time. DK Metcalf went in there in 2020 and played well against LA in the divisional round, went in there in the conference championship. I want to say he had two interceptions of Tom Brady in 2021. He was just coming off a shoulder injury, got limited snaps, but played really, really well in the slot from what I saw. Now he's going into a playoff game against one of the top receivers in the NFL in CeeDee Lamb. And I want to see him shut down CeeDee Lamb. 
And look, I understand it's going to be tough for Joe Barry to choose to match up Jair Alexander versus CeeDee Lamb instead of choosing a smarter uh, matchup like Preston Smith versus CeeDee Lamb. I kid, I kid. But <laughs> I want Jair to go in there and however many snaps he has versus CeeDee, I want him just to just completely shut him down. Just lock down CeeDee Lamb. And that would be so massive for Green Bay. This is why you pay Jair Alexander all this money. Go let him shut down CeeDee Lamb. Because if you shut down CeeDee Lamb, you take out a massive part of Dallas's offense. You say, you force Brandon Cooks, Michael Gallup. You say to them, hey, you guys, we don't think you guys can go win against Carrington Valentine. Or... Um, Keyshawn Nixon, right? Though I, I do think they could win against Keyshawn Nixon. But Jair locking down CeeDee Lamb would make things a lot tougher for the Cowboys offense. And that's what I want to see. It would be so awesome to see two weeks off his suspension. Jair says, hey guys, watch this. CeeDee Lamb, shut up. CeeDee Lamb got the better of Jair a couple times back in 2022. Let's see Jair go in there and say, not today. So that's what I have. Players to watch again. Jair Alexander, Jaden Reed, the J squad. Um, yeah, that's what I have for this game. Again, it's gonna be tough. It's when and I as I went through each of these keys, I I did I said you know if this goes right, if this goes right, if this goes right, there are a lot of things that have to go right, and that's just the reality when you're playing a team as good as the Cowboys and you're a team as I'm not gonna say bad, but as mediocre as the Packers team because they're not as the Packers are because they're not this juggernaut they they simply aren't that they're not the team they were back in 2021 and 2020 they need a lot of things to go right for them they need to control the Cowboys up front they have to have Jordan Love playing really really well winning mentally they have to have the defense getting turnovers they have to have the defense playing sound coverage a lot of things have to go right but you do those things right I think the Packers have a chance to win this game Switching notes a little bit, I just want to say enjoy this game because this may very well be our last Packers game of the year. So have some fun. Try to relax. Try to watch this game with nothing but excitement because, and again, you're going to get sick of this term, but they're playing with house money. This game, they lose this game. You're not, none of your feelings about this team should change. What, what, what feelings would, would possibly change for you? Okay. Jordan Love goes out there, throws three interceptions. Really? You're going to feel worse about him? No, you're not. Okay. Um, Jaden Reed goes out there, drops some passes. You're not going to feel worse about him. Joe Barry's defense goes out there, stinks up the joint. Of course, you're not going to feel worse about them. You already feel awfully about them. There is essentially nothing to lose for this Packers team. So go in there, try to find all the positives that you can find because we're going to be stuck in just a couple of weeks, regardless of how many more games the Packers win, at most we're going to get a month more of Packers football, and that's being ridiculously optimistic. This season is going to be over soon, and I know that I am really going to miss getting to watch the Packers every Sunday. It's one of my highlights of the week, even back, and I said this, when they were sucking against the Vikings, against the Broncos. So, going to this game, have some fun, and I know if this game's close in the fourth quarter, I'm going to be the first person to be sweating through my shirt and have my blood pressure go through the roof. Yeah, I know. I'm going to get stressed out if this game is close in the fourth quarter because I really want the Packers to win. But just try to have some some perspective. Try to enjoy this game. Chill out a little bit. That's I'm basically talking to myself here. So 
that's what I have. As always, thank you so much for listening to Dedicated Packers. I'll be back on Sunday recapping the game. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully talking about a Packers win, but I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah, that's what I have. I'll see you then. But until then, dream about Jordan Love, dream about Matt LaFleur, and most importantly, dream about the Packers beating the Cowboys in Jerry World. Until Sunday. Go Pack, go! Go!